everyone, Kirk here, still cranking away on Strong Song Season 6 and still dropping bonus episodes into the feed to tide you all over while you wait. This is a bonus episode from 2022 that was originally Patreon exclusive and now is released to the wild. It followed on to episode 91, Strong Solos, Volume 1, and talked about two of the soloists, really one of the soloists in particular from that episode. If you haven't listened to that episode, I'd recommend listening to it before listening to this, but it's not a huge deal. You could listen to this on its own as well, and it might even get you interested in Sonny Rollins, one of the soloists that I focused on in that episode. All right, I'm going to throw it to my past self to take us away. This month, I'm going to be talking about some more solos that I really like because one of my episodes this past month in May was focusing on solos and Would you believe it that there are more solos that I'd like to talk about than I was able to fit into that episode? So I actually really want to focus on the great Sonny Rollins, tenor saxophonist Sonny Rollins, one of my saxophone heroes, and someone who, because I talked about him so much on that main episode, I probably won't talk about him again for a while on the show, but I do really want to just share a few more of his solos and some more thoughts on him, since he's a really important musician to me, and I'd love for some of you to maybe be introduced to Sonny Rollins or to go listen to him again if you haven't listened to him in a while, because he's really one of the greatest improvisers who ever lived. And as a bonus, I also want to talk a little bit more about Max Roach, because I referenced Max Roach's drum solo a bit on the main episode about solos, but I didn't talk about him as much as I think Max deserves. So we're going to get a, a side serving of Max Roach here as we focus mostly on Sonny Rollins. So let's start with his 1956 album, Saxophone Colossus, which I've mentioned is one of my favorite albums of all time. And that's not just because of the saxophone playing, that's also because of the drumming by drummer Max Roach. This is actually some of the best drumming you'll find anywhere, despite the fact that a saxophone player was the band leader. So like I mentioned, Sonny takes two solos on this recording. He takes this first one, where they're keeping that calypso groove going, and then there's a drum solo from Max, and then afterward, he plays this swing solo. There's this swing tenor sax solo that's pretty burning. But before that, there's a drum solo from Max Roach that's just as good. It's such a cool drum solo. Check it out. So if you're listening closely, you can probably kind of hear what he's doing. He's keeping a really steady groove going and then building his solo on top of that groove. So he's using his feet, his right foot on the kick drum and his left foot on the hi-hat to keep this just steady thing going. He's just playing like a kind of a light four on the floor on the kick drum and a kind of two and four hi-hat kind of bounce, like a hi-hat bounce in the hi-hat. And the basic groove that he's got is this nice bouncy thing that he's doing on the tom where he just plays this groove. So right off the bat, he's introducing all these little extra hits. But he keeps coming back to that groove. And no matter how busy his hands get, his feet just keep that steady thing going.
I really like what happens there. You can actually hear him turn his snares on in the middle of his solo. So I mentioned this in the main episode, but that groove that he's playing, he's got the snares turned off, so his snare drum just turns into another drum that's kind of similar to his toms, and it gives him that kind of rounded boom sound rather than a snare sound, that pop sound that you get when the snares are turned on and the snares are snapping back against the bottom of the drum whenever you hit them. And you can actually hear him turn the switch to turn the snares on, and then his snare drum starts sounding like a snare drum. It happens right here. (laughs) So a cool thing to listen for is his hi-hat, because he keeps it going for most of the solo, but it drops out at times. Like right here, there's no hi-hat. But then, he starts playing it again. So no matter how busy his hands are getting, you can just focus on that hi-hat, that two and four, and it'll keep you oriented in the groove. The moment when Max Roach turns on his snares is also where he kind of starts playing more of a swing feel, and the song really has kind of already made that transition into swing, which of course perfectly leads into Rollins' second solo. Because now they're swinging, right? Checkading, 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 ding, 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 ding. Bass is walking, piano is comping. Sounds like a swing jazz tune. It's a famous and widely studied drum solo, and one that I wanted to mention here on this bonus episode because I didn't really have space for it in the main episode, but it's really just as strong of an example of motivic development as that Sonny Rollins solo. It's just a drum solo. It's just yet another solo. But this solo by Max Roach, really, really cool, and I love how it connects the two parts of the song and actually performs a switch from that calypso groove into swing that kind of corresponds with when Max turns his snares on. Staying on St. Thomas for a moment, there's another solo that I wanted to talk about that actually wasn't performed by Sonny Rollins. It was played by Joshua Redman many years later in the late 90s on his live album Spirit of the Moment. So if you remember from the main episode, Sonny Rollins' solo on St. Thomas begins with this very well-known motif that he then develops. So that's Sunny. This very playful, very cool motif that, of course, every young tenor saxophone player would have learned. Joshua Redman, the next generation of saxophone players, in 1992 was this young hotshot tenor sax player um, who would go on to become one of my very favorite saxophone players. As a modern player, Josh Redman and Chris Potter, two of my main two of my main influences. I really love Joshua Redman's playing. And he recorded this in 1992 live at the Village Vanguard and came out to play this song. And he does this extended solo intro to St. Thomas that really speaks for itself. He doesn't tell the audience that he's about to play St. Thomas. Well, at least he doesn't tell them in words. He tells them by playing this. (laughs) 
So when a tenor saxophone player walks up on stage and begins playing these notes, you can really only draw one conclusion from it. And I'm sure most people sitting in this audience realized that Redmond was saying, "Guess what, everyone? It's St. Thomas time." <laughs> So he's been playing kind of out of time up to this point, or at least he's not making it really clear where the pulse is. But then here he kind of transitions into playing in time and playing through the form of the song. And then you got a pulse. <clears throat> So this is a really showy and really impressive solo on a number of levels, right? For starters, it's technically very difficult to do what he's doing, just to keep the pulse going, to play that groove. Okay, that's not too hard on saxophone if you know what you're doing. But the jumping that he's doing, where he's leaping up to that high D in his altissimo, that is actually hard to do. It's a fun little trick. He's flutter tonguing. He's like flinging himself all around the horn. He has a very light touch, and it's super fun to listen to somebody with that kind of dexterity on the instrument. But of course, it's also interesting because he's angering the whole thing around Sonny Rollins's original motif from his solo. So he's playing this game with the audience, and you know, kind of showing them all of these different ways. That he can play with this idea that Sonny introduced so many decades earlier. I really love this solo. The first time I heard this solo, I was in high school, and it just knocked me out. It was the most fun I'd heard someone have with the saxophone in that kind of a solo setting. I wanted to play exactly like this. I was so obsessed with this solo, and I was playing alto sax at the time, so I couldn't actually recreate all of the sounds he was making. The minute I got a tenor sax in my hands, a year later, I think I started playing tenor. Uh, I think I first heard this my junior year of high school, and my senior year was when I switched from alto to tenor, and I started playing tenor and was like, oh my gosh, yes, I can finally play the low D. I can finally do the thing. I like immediately started trying to figure out how to play that high altissimo D, which was something I didn't learn how to do until much, much later. But this solo just totally knocked me out because I saw what he was doing. You know, I felt like he was communicating with me. I felt in on the joke in this certain way, and I, I really like that about the solo. I think that it welcomes people in in a sort of uh, in a pretty cool way. So staying on Saxophone Colossus for another little bit here, there's another track on this album that's just as famous as St. Thomas. It's actually the last track on the album. It's a blues written by Rollins, and it's called Blue Seven. So this is actually the melody that you're listening to right now, such as it is. It's a pretty simple melody. But what I want to point you toward is the way that Rollins begins this solo.
Man, what an opening chorus of a blues solo. I really almost talked about this song on Strong Solo. So what with St. Thomas is a little bit more fun, and he uses motivic development in a slightly more obvious way. But what he's doing here is really cool, and it's also a great example of using the full ensemble to express something that no soloist could ever express on their own. So for starters, Blue 7 is a big showpiece for Doug Watkins, the bassist on Saxophone Colossus. It begins with just him playing this killer, like, walk-in bass line through a B-flat blues, and it really focuses on his bass line throughout the recording, but he really plays by himself at the beginning. So Max is over there on the bell, he's also playing the hi-hat, so he's playing a swing groove, but you'll notice that Tommy Flanagan is not playing piano, and he doesn't even play on the melody. Rollins was actually fond of playing with just bass and drums, it gave him more room to work harmonically, but he actually uses Flanagan very well on this recording, and I love Flanagan's entry there at the start of Rollins's solo, right at the start of the next chorus. Here we go. So that's some masterful comping by Flanagan and some really nice phrasing from Rollins. I don't want to give anyone the impression that jazz comping or, you know, accompanying when you're improvising the chords on piano or guitar, that comping has to work that way where you're only playing in the spaces left by the soloist, because that's not how it works. A good a good accompanist will play all over the place. They'll just know how to kind of accentuate and accompany the lines being played by the improviser, but it's definitely not the case that you're only doing your job if you're playing in this space. However, at the beginning of a solo like this, and particularly when the piano hasn't played up to this point, this is a really nice way to do it because it accentuates the piano and it brings out these other colors in the ensemble that you hadn't heard yet. Also, this double time thing that Sonny's about to play just rules. Blue 7 is a real showstopper. It's a great track to go out on. It's 11 minutes long, which is pretty long for vinyl. It takes up almost the whole second side of uh, my vinyl copy of this album. And it also features yet another great drum solo from Max Roach. So when you listen to this solo alongside his solo from St. Thomas, you can kind of start to get a sense of what sort of a mindset he was in when it came to his solos. Because again, he's keeping this steady thing going here. This time it's just that splang splang a lang that he's got going in the ride, along with that really heavy just sock on the hi-hat. Lang dang lang dang lang dang lang. So that's kind of his recurring motif, and he's playing everything in the spaces around that recurring swing figure that he's playing on the ride cymbal. kind of centers the whole solo, and it makes it really easy to grab hold of that and keep up with what he's doing and follow his phrasing. So 
So when I say that Max Roach is every bit as important of a part of Saxophone Colossus as Sonny Rollins, that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's really those two solos, though he does some great playing on the other tracks as well. So go check this album out. It's a really cool record, and I hope this has given you a few things to listen for as you find your way around it. But again, there's there's more tunes on this album as well, and this band found some, some wonderful sounds and worked together just beautifully. So in 1957, a year after he recorded Saxophone Colossus, Sonny Rollins actually got really into playing in a trio with a bass, drums, and tenor saxophone and nobody playing chords, which freed him up harmonically. There's a legendary recording of him live at the Village Vanguard, actually the same club that Joshua Redman would play in all those decades later, doing that solo version of St. Thomas that I talked about earlier. Sonny Rollins live at the Village Vanguard is a classic recording because Sonny was experimenting with all this cool stuff with a trio with bass, drums, and saxophone. The full name of the album is A Night at the Village Vanguard, and on most of the tracks he's playing with Wilbur Ware on the bass and the great Elvin Jones, who of course would become famous playing with John Coltrane, playing drums. In the 1960s, Rollins went on to do a bunch of other cool stuff. There's a great album of his called The Bridge, which doesn't have any piano, but does feature Jim Hall on the guitar. So Rollins was always kind of pushing away from the piano, bass, drum, saxophone, quartet model, and kind of embracing other ways of getting chords or not having any chords at all. And it's a great sound with Jim Hall on the electric guitar. So The Bridge, a great album from 1962, but I want to just play one more Sonny Rollins solo, or an excerpt for one more Sonny Rollins solo for all of you, from another album that was actually recorded in 1957, though it wouldn't be released until a couple of years later. It's an album that I've actually talked about on a Q&A episode of Strong Songs, an album called Sunny Side Up that was led by Dizzy Gillespie and featured a sextet with both Sonny Rollins and Sonny Stitt, another great saxophonist, both playing saxophone, so kind of trading off, and that was kind of the gimmick of the album was that there were two guys named Sonny. Sonny Stitt mostly played tenor, so they were mostly both playing tenor saxophone, though on at least one track, I think Stitt plays alto because Sonny Stitt, also a great alto sax player and one of the rare jazz musicians who got a lot of mileage out of both the alto and the tenor saxophone. So I was answering a question about battles between musicians, and this is a famous battle between Sonny Stitt and Sonny Rollins on tenor sax on the album's second track called The Eternal Triangle. And I told the story about how the first time I heard this, I thought that Sonny Stitt won, whatever that means, but how over time I came to appreciate how much I really liked Sonny Rollins' solo. so vertical, it's so rhythmically hip, he's so in the pocket. Rollins' time, his conception of rhythm is one of my favorite things about him. He's one of the most rhythmically interesting and exciting saxophonists who ever lived. And for a long time, the Eternal Triangle was basically all that I associated with Sunny Side Up. I owned the album, and I would listen to the Eternal Triangle. They open with On the Sunny Side of the Street, and that's funny, it's cute, there's some nice solos on it, but I never really listened to the other two tracks on the album. After Hours, which is a nice slow blues that comes after the Eternal Triangle, and then the final track, the standard I Know That You Know, which they play 
really fast and was just kind of loose on the melody, so I just never really stuck around. And that was my mistake, because I know that you know the final track on Sunny Side Up features one of the most smoking Sunny Rollins solos I've ever heard. They go through the melody, it seems like they almost played it by ear, and then immediately go into this stop time section, where the rhythm section just does hits on one, and Sonny just goes off, and they keep the stop time going for his entire solo. Listen to this stuff. just keeps going and going and going and going and going. I mean, wind him up and watch him go. I actually transcribed this entire solo at one point in music school. Don't ask me to play it for you right now, because I don't think that I could, but it might be a fun one to relearn, because just the stamina that he's demonstrating here, I mean, this is basically the polar opposite of St. Thomas. He's not establishing motifs. He's not leaving a lot of space for the band. There is no other band. They're just doing hits for him and getting out of the way, and he's just, like, unleashing this avalanche of bebop vocabulary, eighth note after eighth note after eighth note, moving perfectly through the changes. Man, it's good. So this is the image of Sonny Rollins that I want to leave you with. He was a playful soloist. He had so many cool ideas. He could be cerebral. He could leave space for the ensemble. But when it came down to it, the guy just had chops. And that'll do it for this bonus mini-sode, taking an extra little look at Sonny Rollins, one of my very favorite musicians, one of my favorite saxophonists, and a player who had a huge influence on me in terms of his conception, his sound, his swing, his feel. I mean, if I could play like any musician in the world, I think I'd play like Sonny Rollins. And hey, I mean, if I could play like any drummer in the world, there's a fair chance that it'd be Max Roach, so a little bit of extra Max Roach in here as well. Thanks so much to all of you for listening, and thanks to all of my patrons. Just as a reminder, Strong Songs is a totally listener-supported show, and if you want to help me keep making it, go to patreon.com slash strongsongs and sign up. If you become a patron, you'll get access to the Season 6 premiere two weeks early on February 9th. I'm pretty excited about it, and we're almost to Season 6, but for now, I'll see you in two weeks for more Strong Songs. Strong Songs.